Thank you for joining the Move the Stairs podcast. I'm Diane Mulligan with my colleagues Mitch Jelniger and Jordan Sherman. You may be wondering, what does Move the Stairs mean? It's our philosophy, how we look at every challenge as an opportunity. When you move the stairs, you take the steps other people might not. Creating customer loyalty, nurturing great relationships with the media, and building a resilient CBD hemp and medical marijuana brand. Over the next 20 minutes or so, we'll talk with the brightest minds, the savviest business leaders, and reporters in the CBD space. You'll learn how brand protection PR can help your CBD, hemp, or medical marijuana business stand head and shoulders above your competitors. And you'll be on your way to making the most of any challenge. That's what we call Move the Stairs. Let's get started. Welcome to the Move the Stairs podcast. We are recording on Wednesday, July 12th, 2023. And we're so excited that you're joining us for today's conversation. You know, today we're going to be joined by Chris Fontes from Trojan Horse Cannabis to talk about building their beverage and edibles and tinctures brands and how they uniquely market their products. We're going to talk to Chris about um, Delta 9 and how much he talks about Delta 9 and CBD in his marketing, how that increases that customer loyalty and makes them different. You know, and Chris is a frequent guest on podcast. Most recently, he was on uh, Cannabis Talk 101, and he can tell us about how he became a guest and what is the advantage of being on a podcast like that. And then finally, um, usually our favorite part of the conversation here, we're talking about brand resiliency. And Chris has uh, done a number of unique things to protect his brand. So we're excited to get inside his brain and learn a little bit more about that. So without further ado, Diane, let's welcome Chris to the studio. That's right. Let's get started, Chris. Thank you for joining us on the Move the Stairs podcast today. We're so thrilled to have you. Tell us a little bit about you. Just get us started here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm real excited to be here. Uh, you know, as you said, my name is Chris. I'm the founder and CEO of Trojan Horse Cannabis and High Spirits Beverages. I've been in the hemp space uh, since 2018 and uh, since then have participated at all steps of the supply chain from, uh, from early, you know, distillate, isolate, biomass transactions all the way to consumer packaged goods. I'm uh, very passionate about the plant in general, was a, we'll say a cannabis activist for a good portion of my younger life. And uh, just happy to be spreading the good word of what this plant can do and be part of this deprohibition that we're in the middle of this very historic time in American history and uh, just to be part of it all. It is exciting, isn't it? To, to be at the very beginning. It's also a little frustrating sometimes. But and <laughs> yeah. in that, you know, we know that one of the biggest challenges for a CD, CBD company is building that customer loyalty. Um, because there are so many companies, although it seems like the number is shrinking right now, and there's a lot of products to choose from. So you're very focused on marketing Delta 9 THC content in your lines, whereas, you know, many CBD companies kind of shy away from that. Um, you're, you talk about a 10 to 1 ratio. You, you, you have really used the math to your advantage as a differentiating factor. I'm interested in what made you decide to take this route that's so unique from everybody else? Uh, you know, I think it's it's partly my uh, cannabis activism streak that saw an opportunity to bring, uh, you know, actual cannabis products to the masses and was like, how could I not how could I not push this agenda? Uh, the whole the whole country is going to benefit from this if I would just step out and do it. 
Uh, I recognize the opportunity for Delta 9 products uh, when the, the first draft of the 2018 Farm Bill was really going around and it's making its way through the chambers. And I right away just read the definition of hemp and, okay, how are they going to actually define it? How, what are the limitations going to be, et cetera? And saw the 0.3% Delta 9 THC by dry weight. And I was like, Okay, so that means up to 0.3% of Delta 9 THC is not a controlled substance, which means we now have, for the first time, THC that is not a controlled substance. How can we leverage that? And so I did the math to figure out how many milligrams uh, could I get into X size gummy? And then I did it backwards and said, wait a minute, if I wanted 10 milligrams, how big would that gummy have to be? And pretty quickly just figured out, oh, you can actually make normal edibles that you would get at a dispensary through hemp. Uh, and it wouldn't be a controlled substance. This is interesting. So at the time I discovered this, I was actually building uh, the hemp exchange platform, uh, which for those that have been in the hemp space for more than three years may remember. At a time, it was the largest marketplace of B2B transactions for biomass, isolate, flour, distillate, et cetera. And it was my fiduciary responsibility to focus on that entity and make that entity successful, which was not a consumer packaged goods uh, space. So I, I kind of left the dream on the table, so to speak, and focused on the task at hand. Uh, that sort of ended in a, a very atyp or a very typical hemp industry, not great partners sort of situation. Uh, I transitioned from that to Project Hemp Flower, where we were taking our network of farmers that we had built through Hemp Exchange and said, let's get these guys some access to marketing and sales power for their flower that they're trying to sell. So we would consign a couple pounds from a farmer. We would curate it ourselves, make sure this is a high quality smokable. It's cured just like cannabis should be cured. It smokes well. And let's do our own third party test, make sure it's legal and make sure it's safe. And so people that bought from us knew the farm that they were buying it from. They knew the percentage. They knew if it was indoor or greenhouse, et cetera. We were really the first ones to put this sort of effort into hemp flower. And it, we had competitors that existed, but none of them were going to the, the, the 99 yard line with it or crossing, crossing into the end zone. So we really stepped up the game. And uh, I do feel like we made a huge dent in that industry because all of our competitors really stepped up their game. We're like, oh man, I guess we got to do full panels now and we have to make sure our flower doesn't look like garbage. And so the, the, the smokable flower industry really blew up from us pushing that, that agenda. The problem is it blew up to a point where people found out that they could just spray D8 on their flower and then you could get really high off hemp flower uh, through inhalation of Delta 8. And we started getting calls on the regular, hey, are you going to sell Delta 8? Are you going to spray Delta 8, et cetera, et cetera. And so I, I called a couple chemist friends. I'm a layman chemist amateur. I, I understand enough to kind of get it, but um, by, I'm by no means an actual chemist. So I called a couple friends of mine that are kind of in the space that, that know chemistry really well and uh, said, tell me what you know about Delta 8. How's it actually made? What are the concerns? What do we know about it? And after those conversations, I said, you know, it's probably okay, uh, but I'm not comfortable putting this into humans in the quantities and the delivery methods we're doing right now, uh, because it's, it's not who I am. I'm not willing to risk it for a, it should be fine. Um, and so we, we decided to not participate in the Delta 8 space uh, and our revenue tanked because of it, just to be totally honest. It's we, the, the market moved, we didn't follow and uh, we got left in the dirt. Uh, 
And uh, at that point, I said, well, look, Delta 8 has already got the cat out of the bag. People are getting uh, impaired. Uh, they're getting high off of hemp. Um, why not bring back this Delta 9 idea that I had a couple years back and at least bring plant-created THC, which we've been using as humans since humans have history, and, uh, and bring this to the people instead of a converted product that doesn't have the longevity uh, to prove that it's safe. And uh, that's what we did. We were the first ones to do Delta 9. Um, it was a grueling first 12 months because no one believed me that you could actually do this. Uh, they didn't believe me that it was possible. They didn't believe me that you could concentrate the Delta 9 enough. They didn't believe me they could sell them in their stores. And it was a lot. I mean, it took hours for every new store we landed in the early days because we had to go through their catalog of what they were currently selling and pull out COAs and prove to them that you're already selling THC. You just are pretending that you're not because you don't know that you are for some reason. <laughs> and, uh, and be like, okay, so what's the difference? You're selling 200 milligrams of THC in this tincture bottle. What's wrong with selling 100 milligrams of THC in a gummy format? Like, how is this somehow more dangerous or scary than the tincture you're selling? And, uh, and thus, you know, Trojan Horse was born and, and uh, made the dent in the industry that it did. And it took about a year before we had our first competitor. Uh, we were in stealth mode intentionally for like nine solid months. So no one knew we existed. Um, one of our sales reps uh, blabbed on Facebook immediately about us. Uh, as soon as they were hired on and one of our competitors saw that feed and went, oh, my God, we can do that. And uh, came out with a competitive product within like a month of that that uh, live stream that that person did. Uh, so we had our first competitor and I was like, all right, it's time to get loud because uh, we don't <laughs> want to be dethroned because we stayed silent too long. Right. We got loud about it. And now anyone that's in the hemp space is well aware that Delta 9 is a is a thriving industry. And it's, it's very prominent. I stopped counting competitors like a year and a half ago because it just didn't matter anymore. There's too many of them. And uh, frankly, I'm, I'm really happy to have put that dent in the industry. Uh, some people may not love me if they're on the deeply invested, highly regulated million dollar licensed marijuana side, because uh, we're sort of the Uber to the taxi cab companies, if you will. Um, but, you know, I'd rather be Uber and bring something to the people that, that I'm passionate about than, uh, than pretend I don't care about it and, and hide right. it from the people at behest of deep pockets somewhere else. So, yeah, uh, yeah that's, that's me. That's my story. Wow. Yeah. It's quite, you said you got loud about it. Of course, you want to let, let everybody know what, what you're doing and others followed. Do you think talking more about D9 increases the customer loyalty for you does the consumer uh, uh you know key into this i think you know i think that there let me give you the 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 answer that i should as a brand manager absolutely i think me talking about it is increasing sales and customer loyalty all day long the reality is i don't know that it makes it all the way to the consumer i think probably 90 percent of what i do doesn't make its way to the consumer Right. Consumers aren't looking online trying to digest LinkedIn content, which is where I do most of my networking and, and discussion, because I'm trying to be a thought leader in the industry and, and help other operators, regulators, lobbyists understand, like, where should we be pushing this? And I do a lot more of that, I think. And consumers don't really care about the law. You know, it's it's I just got in a conversation with someone about this recently where they say, you know, consumers this, consumers that, they understand, you know, they, they're concerned about the hemp industry because it's not marijuana and et cetera. And I said, consumers don't care. 
they don't care what legal framework this product got to them. They care how much did it cost? Did I enjoy the experience? And do I feel that it was a safe product? Those are the three things they care about. So I don't know that talking about D9 has really increased, increased brand loyalty. I think delivering a consistent product that says, uh, that does what it says it's going to do, that is as advertised on the label, uh, being a company that voluntarily will recall a batch or not deploy a batch to the public if there's something wrong with it. I think those are the things that really speak to our customers louder uh, than a podium. Interesting. Okay. Another uh, topic of conversation here and how you have differentiated in the space, uh, Chris, is the nanotechnology. So um, I saw this pop up in the podcast uh, notes and I was like, yes, we, we need to talk more about this. Um, so please tell us a little bit more about the nanotechnology and how that is, you know, may or may not be making waves with your consumers too. Yes, yeah, certainly. Yes. Uh, you know, nano is, is a hot buzzword right now. And essentially what it means is that the, par the particle size of your cannabinoids has gotten down uh, to be measured small enough that it's in nanometers. Usually, you know, some people will say sub 100 nanometers, you can call it nano. Some people say it's up to 400 nanometers, you can call it nano. Uh, this is a chemistry debate that I don't have the credentials to argue about whether we should or shouldn't be calling certain things nano. Uh, but essentially the goal here is to get um, smaller particles so that it delivers faster. Your, your bioavailability is higher, meaning more percentage of what you're ingesting actually makes it into your blood and not filtered out by your liver. Um, if you get it small enough, or there's other ways to do this too, but through nano specifically, if you get it small enough, it, fa it passes uh, right through phase one metabolization, kind of skips it. So it gets right into your blood really fast. That's how you have that you know, five to 15 minute onset from a beverage as opposed to an hour or so in an edible. Uh, it's, it's not going through that first phase of metabolization. Um, that said, nano isn't inherently the goal. Um, a lot of people new to the space, myself included, when I first was looking into beverages, I was like, nano is the goal. It has to be nano. It's not necessarily correct. The goal is fast uptake, it's, it's even homogeneity, so liquid suspension that stays suspended. It stays in your liquid. It doesn't fall out and separate. And if I grab a cup from a giant tub uh, on one end of the tub and another end of the tub, they're going to have the exact same amount of dosage between both of them because it's evenly homogenized. Uh, so speed to uptake, uh, flavor profile, bioavailability, liquid suspension, homogeneity, pH sensitivity, all of these things are really important to get cannabinoids into water or a water base. And right now, nano is the most popular way to do that. But there are other methodologies as well, and some of which we're exploring. You know, we've tried probably 20 to 25 different technologies that are in the industry right now. And uh, we've currently settled on what we think is the best one. Uh, but we're honestly still looking because this is a quickly evolving scientific field. And Frankly, a lot of the science has been settled decades ago in other formats. Um, us here in cannabis, we always like to think we're the first to do everything. Um, but lo and behold, we've been emulsifying oil into water for a very long time. Um, just look at your like Italian dressing right in your in your fridge. It's, uh, you know, creamy Italian dressings and, and things like this. Some of them have been emulsified. Um, so it's not new tech. We're just figuring out how does it apply to cannabinoids? Is there any differences? There are some that need to be tweaked. It's, you know, it's format specific. 
but it's it's really important that you get that all those things to make a beverage. Otherwise, you can't pull it off. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot to it. I just had a vision of a a, a creamy Italian dressing with D9 in it. With I don't know. Uh-huh. Maybe, there may be something there, Chris. The, there's the thing already. So, um, you know, in, in spots like Tennessee and Minnesota, uh, you can buy, you can sit down at a restaurant and some places have condiments with THC in them. And so wow. you can buy your, I'll take five, a five milligram ketchup, please. And you dip your fries in it and you move on with life. Uh, it's very interesting experiences. New York is starting to do this in a big way as well. And I think, um, I think this is going to be fairly normal in 10 years time. Most major cities will have a couple of THC based restaurants where you can get a THC product, just like you could get a alcoholic beverage uh, with your lunch. You can get a THC product with your lunch, whether it be a beverage or a condiment. Interesting. Yeah. Or, yeah. or food, you know, you right. can make a, a burger patty. You could make lasagna. You can make literally whatever you want. Now I'm getting hungry too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's talk about the media for a moment. And because in MNC, we're all former journalists. And so we use that experience to help our clients uh, and and set them up. You said it earlier, to be a thought leader and to do well when they're uh, trying to do interviews or want to do interviews or sometimes even when they don't want to do interviews, but they need to. Right. Um, You were recently on Cannabis Talk 101, as we mentioned at the top of the program, which says it is the number one cannabis podcast. So a lot of people, your competitors and, and others in this industry are like, how did he do that? How did you get on that show? You know, uh, I'm going to be painfully honest and say, I don't remember if they reached out to me or I reached out to them the first instance. I kind of feel like they reached out to us, uh, but I'm not, I don't want to put them in that box. If that wasn't the case, I may have reached out to them. But it was a quick conversation and they looked at our website and I think it blew their minds. Like, wait a minute, they're just making THC edibles and shipping it through the mail and they're doing it legally. This is bonkers. And uh, I think it was just the excitement of something that is revolutionary to, to a lot of extent. Uh, and so it, it qualified me to get on the show and it was a good time. And, you know, I want to take one step back. You guys asked me earlier if uh, doing uh, educational speeches and, and mm-hmm. being a thought leader helps with brand loyalty. Um, I will say that I think podcasts are an exception to my previous statement. Um, getting on LinkedIn, going to conferences, this isn't really moving the consumer needle very much, but consumers do consume podcasts, right? right? And so while some are maybe more industry focused and less consumer focused, uh, it is more likely that a consumer is going to see a podcast than one of my posts on LinkedIn. So I do think podcasts are a really essential component for brand loyalty and exposure. Um, so to, to bring that forward again, I was very fortunate to be on Cannabis Talk 101. They're the oldest cannabis podcast uh, in existence. Uh, so in a way, they're, they're history makers as well. And it's a really exciting time to have, uh, I, I, I hope I can consider myself a history maker to some extent with the advent of the D9 industry. Uh, it's fun to talk to other people that did something that was really revolutionary at the time and pioneered a path and and to uh, to participate with those gentlemen on that show was fantastic. As kind of a follow-up to what you just mentioned, Chris, in addition to um, my, my first question, uh, my follow-up here is, um, are you now actively seeking podcasts where you think um, more consumers are listening? First of all, and then my second question is, um, what is the overall benefit that you're finding or that you found or maybe you're seeing in the industry to just being present on podcasts? Is it elevating the thought leadership 
Um, are, do you think you're getting into the ears of lobbyists or politicians? Um, I'd love to hear your response for those questions. Yeah, it's a, it's a double-edged sword when you're the pioneer, right? Because <laughs> you get exposure, which is good and bad. Um, for example, because we're well-known, uh, we were targeted in a, a lobbyist fashion in the state of Colorado. Um, and I can confidently say that we were targeted without violating any sort of weird uh, or, or potentially being sued for saying something that wasn't true because they brought our company name up uh, on some of these talks with the senators and lobbyists. So it's not even speculation. Uh, our, our company name was dropped a couple of times as the reason or the catalyst for some of these changes, which you know has a negative impact on the hemp industry in Colorado. And so part of me is uh, feels some sort of guilt and pressure for being the catalyst that created that. Uh, but really, in the grand scheme of things, it's not so much my fault that the industry here is trying to restrict access to cannabis for consumers outside of the state or even in the state. Um, so I can't really hold all of that responsibility. Uh, but I do find uh, there are some negatives if you are pioneering something new that's controversial. Um, but ultimately, those negatives are are are. are uh, they're, they're permanent, right? No matter what format you choose to make progress on, you're gonna have a negative if it's controversial. It could be blog posts, it could be the very existence of the company uh, inherently brings ire from certain folks. Um, so the I think there's no reason not to get involved in podcasts because the, there's I do think lobbyists to your direct question are, are seeing this uh, or seeing these videos. I think that regulators from time to time will see them. I think mostly staffers of regulators are the ones that catch them more than the regulators themselves. Um, but, uh, and legislators as well. Um, but I definitely think thought leadership, you know, if you're in the industry, you consume industry content. You have to, because especially in this industry, it's moving really fast. Um, I mean, for crying out loud, I was on a, a call the other day and it, it was a committee hearing in a state for a proposed regulation change. And before the cannabis regulation change, there was a regulation change. They were talking about uh, truck drivers within their state. And it was kind of a small change that you would think to the layman is like, who cares about this? Well, there was multiple trade associations from trucker industry and meatpacking industry. And they were on this call and it was kind of fun to watch a different industry go through some of the same conversations at a, a regulatory and legislative level and to think, wow, you think this, this debate would be settled by now? Why are we still tweaking how truckers are, are regulated? But uh, their industry is much more uh, mature than ours. And so you could, in theory, as a truck driving operator, kind of check out of the noise and when the regulation changes, you adopt it and you move on with life. You can't do that in our space. You have to be abreast of what's happening. You have to consume this content. Because you could be starting a six-month marketing campaign uh, three weeks before what you're about to do is no longer available to do. And it'd be really foolish for you to just put your head down in the sand and try to make it happen in this space right now, I think, because the the target keeps moving. I mean, uh, the name of this podcast uh, sort of indicates this concept of uh, pivoting when necessary and, and you know, moving things to where they need to be and, and not just being so dug in that you can't, uh, you can't move or react or, or be proactive. And so I think being on these things as well as consuming these things is proactively engaging in thought leadership and uh, consumer uh, trust. You know, when you're out there a bunch, your consumers feel like, 
okay, this is a real person doing real stuff with high visibility. They're less likely to put themselves at risk by making a crap product that makes me sick. Whereas when you go to a website and you don't see any contact information, you don't know how to get a hold of them, you don't know where they're based, you don't know, you know, that you can't pay via credit card, you have to pay via some weird Bitcoin transfer scheme, and you go, these people could sell me fentanyl and I would have no recourse because I couldn't even find them again. And so I, I think that being on these podcasts adds credibility to the brand as well. I think so too. And also, Chris, um, you get to add to the conversation. So yeah. it's not like the conversation is going on over here and it's a bunch of people who aren't going to be affected by whatever is happening. You're actually adding to that conversation and there is always um, positive benefit in the fact that people are hearing another side. And, you know, because we are former journalists, doing both sides is really, really important to us. So I'm interested putting your thought leadership mentorship hat on. If you were going to suggest to other companies to get involved in podcasts, what would you see? How would you suggest they go about that? Uh, I mean, really, it's just reach out. Reach out to the podcast. You're in, first, identify uh, what podcast you care about. Um if you're in this space, chances are you already listened to a couple of podcasts. Start with the ones you're familiar with because you know the hosts, you know their aim, you know what they're trying to accomplish, and uh, it's going to be an easier conversation. And then just reach out directly. Um, it, I think you always need to explain how you're going to bring value to the podcast. The podcasts are this interesting give and take of value, right? Um let, let's, I like to, to take the veil back often and just expose uh, some maybe fourth wall breaking things with my audience at times. Look, the, having someone on your podcast brings value to your podcast because now you have something to talk about, right? But uh, being on the podcast for me brings value to me because you guys have a platform and an audience. And so the goal here is to bring value to each other. And I think uh, that's really important for the guests to realize is that it's not just about, ooh, it's all about me. It's about bringing value to the show as well, because really it's the audience we're trying to bring value to. And if I bring something valuable to you folk, that extends to your audience. And if you bring something valuable to me, that extends to your audience. And so it's this reciprocal value add that's really for the consumers, not for any of us. Um, and it's really important that you put that hat on. And when you approach a podcast, make sure you're in that perspective of, I can bring value to your show because I have this expertise, this background. I'd like to talk about these things. Here's other things I'm capable of talking about it if it's of value to your show. And sort of let the show say, well, we know what our marketing plan is. We know what we're trying to accomplish. And we think you'd fit in if you talked about these topics and then be amenable to that and talk about those topics that bring value to their clientele. Absolutely. That's about as thoughtful of an answer I think is I've ever heard for that particular question, Chris. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. Of course. Uh, part three of the podcast record, this is uh, my personal favorite, where we talk about brand resiliency. And we know that it's um, a real big pain point um, when it comes to the CBD and hemp space. So, you know, we work with clients to try to find the opportunity in every challenge, you know, working to polish their reputation so that when something does um, bad does happen, um, they have a trust bucket to fall back to. Uh, we help them prepare for the unexpected. Uh, all of these things work toward building a resilient brand. So um, I guess the first question in this part of the podcast is you decided to get into the beverage space. Was that because you saw a good business opportunity there in the future? Or did you have another motivation that um, led you into that space? 
it, it was dual motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I generally frown upon for myself doing activities that are purely cash generating that I don't also feel like brings some sort of value to a greater good somehow. Um, that doesn't mean that if there's anything wrong with that or if, you know, I have a programming background. If I could figure out a cool little script and website to run that brought in a couple grand a month that I didn't really wasn't passionate about, I'm not saying I wouldn't do that. But in the cannabis space, I'm here because I want to be part of history. I want to move the ball forward. And I want to do everything I can to help steer this in a good direction for consumers and small businesses in the long run. We've seen industries time and time again get dominated by huge players that ultimately are negatively impactful to the end user uh, by the end of the day. I'm, I'm trying to help avoid that scenario. And, you know, obviously I can't do that on my own. I'm not pompous enough to think that I single-handedly am doing this, but there's, you know, a couple hundred thousand people and we're all sort of pushing in the same direction and guiding things as it happens. And I'm just like, I'm excited to be part of that. So for me, going into beverage had to fit in that narrative. Um, and that's actually the what spurred the idea. It was the catalyst, if you will, was I was reading the book, The Power of Habit. Um, I don't know if you folk have read that or I'm guessing your audience is pretty uh, up to speed on things. They've probably consumed this book already. Um, and The Power of Habit showed me that it's easier to replace something in a habit than to change the habit itself. And so my immediate thought when I read this was, I bet I can get people to stop smoking cigarettes if I give them a hemp cigarette instead. And I just wanted to try this, the the psychological concept. What if I don't ask you to quit smoking? I just say smoke something different uh, and let's see how that works instead of the opposite, which is let's give you the chemical you're addicted to in a patch, but take away the habit. I'm like, no, no, keep the habit. Smoke all you want. Just smoke something different. And I helped like four people stop smoking cigarettes altogether. And it was, they're like, this is the easiest thing that's ever happened to me because I'm still smoking, but I'm not getting the nicotine addiction. So over, you know, a six week period, I start going, do I really want to go outside and smoke right now? It's kind of cold. I'll wait (laughs) later. And they start smoking less to the point where like, I don't even really need it anymore. And that, that clicked my proof of theory. Like, okay, replacing an item in a habit is far superior to breaking the habit. So what if we didn't stop people from drinking? We just replaced what they're drinking. And instead of drinking alcohol or soda or an energy drink or a sports drink or a cocktail or the millions of things people drink all the time, let's just put a different can in their hand. And it, I had this moment of, oh, my God, this is how cannabis gets normalized. Most of Americans are not probably not most. There's a huge portion that does. But people that aren't currently cannabis smokers, very few at the age of 58 are going to say, you know what sounds fun? A bong. I've never <laughs> in my life, I'm going to go buy a bong. It's probably not in their nature to do so. And it'd be a pretty big lift to get them to go do make that step. Um, a beverage, however, to say, hey, uh, you want a drink? I can offer you a THC beverage. And they go, a what? Yeah, a THC beverage. It's low dose. You're going to feel great. It's it's very easy. You don't have to smoke anything. And people are way more receptive to this. And, and the reality is this is part of the reason that alcohol is popular is because it's a simple format that we're used to already drinking or we're used to doing. You have to drink water or you die. It's a requirement for being a human. Um, so we're just saying, hey, instead of, you know, before we'd say, hey, instead of water, why don't you drink this other stuff that makes you feel really good, right? Mm-hmm. And now we're saying, well, that stuff makes you feel really good. 
But there's a lot of reasons you might want to not consume as much of that stuff. Uh, here's an alternative that makes you feel really good that doesn't have those negative side effects. And mm -hmm. it's it turns out we were dead on. Um, and, you know, I don't want to talk about this too long because it was a very pointed question. But if there's an opportunity, I'd like to talk about how the marijuana industry versus the hemp industry view beverages and, and why that this regulatory imaginary wall between the two industries is artificial and, and shouldn't exist. You know, Chris, I, I wish you had more passion about what you do. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's very boring. Wow. Yeah. No, it's just great hearing how your, your thought process or how you, you, you approach the business. And obviously it's clear to see, you know, how passionate you are and why you're thriving. So that's cool to see. What, and, and we can get to that question you're hoping for, but the other the other element I want to ask about creating that resilient brand, we're always asking clients to, you get swamped in the day-to-day, -day, but you got to look ahead. Yeah. So if I had to ask you to bring out your crystal ball, what's the next shoe to drop in, say, the hemp space? Yeah, I don't even, I don't even need a crystal ball for that one. Uh, the farm bill's coming up in September. Right. Um and uh we'll, we'll get done in september who knows yeah but that's that's the point it's it's due in september i i think it's likely we'll have an extension because it's only a couple months away and we haven't seen a lot of giraffes floating around yet uh so i i don't know that we're going to have an executed farm bill in september in fact the farm bill historically is not executed on time properly it's pretty common for it to be late even up to two years um so I think likely the farm bill will probably be like a next year sort of thing, Q1, Q2. Um, if I had to guess, it's not impossible that we get it Q3 or Q4 this year, but it's definitely the next shoe to drop, if you will, in a big regulatory potential shift for the industry. Now, what's going to be in the farm bill, for my opinion? I, I really think it's there. There's a there's a couple of options here, and I don't think anything outside of those options is very probable. So I, I think it's either going to really change the definition of hemp itself. Well, actually, let me back up. It's an important understanding before I make this statement. There is a definition of hemp at a federal level that, that is the definition that's relied upon as an exclusion from the Controlled Substance Act. Right? When you're reading the CSA, it says marijuana is illegal, blah, 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 except for hemp as defined by Section 1639.0 in the Agricultural Marketing Act of 1946, right? In, uh, in in section seven, chapter seven. So you go read that definition. It's just a standalone definition. That's it. Hemp is defined. That's what hemp is. So there's the definition. Then there's the USDA program. Now the program uh, is required to consider THCA 30 days before cultivation. And this was legislatively mandated. You could argue it wasn't, but it was interpreted to be legislatively mandated. So the USDA program cares about total THC, Delta 9 THC plus THCA at 87.2%. The Farm Bill definition of hemp, though, just is this a controlled substance or not, does not consider THCA. This is a point of contention and distinction. While pedantic, it's very important that probably 98% of the cannabis industry does not understand. Um, and I've, I've had to educate lawyers on this and they're like, no, you're wrong. And then they go read it and they go, oh, shit, you're right. Uh, so it's 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 highly misunderstood, but uh, it's it's what it is. So there's the definition. Then there's the USDA program. I think one of two things is going to happen in the farm bill. Either the definition itself is going to change to encapsulate total THC. If that happens, it's likely going to be joined with a raise of to one percent. 
So I think we might see like a 1% all tetrahydrocannabinols and analogs, including HHC, wrapped up into the definition. That pretty much brings an end to the uh, converted cannabinoid industry because the whole reason you're going to go for a Delta 8 over a Delta 9 is because you can vape it, mm-hmm. right? Or you can get way more milligrams because they don't care about percentage by dry weight of Delta 8. Same with HHC, the two most popular uh, cannabinoids in this market at the time. Both of those will no longer be vapable because you can't exceed 1%. And they're held to the same percentage standard that Delta 9 is, which means this for the same milligrams and the same dose, you get more bang for your buck with Delta 9. So it doesn't put an end to the industry. It just makes it uh, less exciting of a space to exist because the products will be highly limited. Um, I think that's 50% probable that that's going to happen. The other thing that might happen instead is that the definition is untouched, left completely alone. It's just 0.3% Delta 9 THC by dry weight. And instead, Congress directs USDA to say, hey, you kind of ran with this post-decarboxylation a little too aggressively. We're going to instruct you through legislative action that 0.3 Delta 9 is the definition is still the limit. However you get up to 1% total THC at your har- your harvest check. Um, I think that those two scenarios are the most likely two scenarios to happen. I think there may also be some exclusions from industrial hemp, meaning fiber and grain from testing altogether. It's a huge push by that right now, which has some legs and might happen. But in the cannabinoid space, I really think it's the definition is going to get locked down to 1% or just the USDA program will now be allowed to go up to 1%. Okay. It'll be really interesting because um, a lot of um, CBD companies um, have added Delta 8 as a survival mechanism. And I could see if that happened, it could really impact the industry um, in a negative way because those companies will not make it without the Delta 8. So that'll be really interesting. You also made a point about having to educate um, the, the marijuana side yes. um, and how the, how the two sides don't at this point work together. Where's yeah, that going? Not very often. They, we're starting to, um, and that's one of my personal uh, bucket lists for the, the historic moment that we're in is to get these two sides to function together. Because when you, when you say, okay, we're going to, We're going to do a thought experiment. We're not going to say the word hemp and we're not going to say the word marijuana. We're just going to say cannabis and that could mean either or. So do you believe as a marijuana operator that cannabis uh, should be safe for consumers? Do you think cannabis should be regulated? Do you think cannabis, do you think adults should have access to cannabis? Do you think you should be able to buy cannabis through the mail? Should you be able to buy it at the restaurant? You ask all these questions and you find out, hey, we agree on like 95% of these bullets. It's the 5% we don't agree on. And it's all around the intricacy of the regulatory framework and what's quote unquote fair and not fair. But if we would just set that aside for a minute, we do agree on a a large portion of things. So I'm, I'm personally trying to get folks to realize this and work together saying, hey, we may not agree on everything, but we agree on this. So let's not waste our lobbying dollars fighting each other over this stupid thing over right. here when we both would be better off working together for a win in this area. Yep. Instead of fighting here, let's win together over here. A it case of label standards. Um, ASTM just came out with a label standards for the cannabis industry. 
there's no reason that a hemp and marijuana operators should be not joining together, locked in arms, pushing our state and federal government to adopt these standards. Because if you're in hemp or marijuana and you're in more than one state, you feel the pain of stocking multiple labels just to be compliant in the air, the market you're in. It's ridiculous. Um, let's all adopt the same standard and all get on the same page. It's going to save a lot of uh, uh, carbon footprint by stocking multiple things you don't need to stock. Uh, it's going to save the company's money, which allows them to perform better and stay in business longer. Uh, it, it's a win all the way around. It's better for consumers because they can then get used to seeing the same label type over and over and start to pick out, oh, if I want a product that I like, I need to look for this on the label. And it's going to be there every time instead of a totally different label that they're not used to and they don't know how to read anymore. So it's things like this that I'm trying to bring the industry together on. And again, to sort of go back a little bit about the differences between the two, you know, when marijuana gets asked about beverage, they say it's garbage. It's 2% of the market. Nobody, the data doesn't lie. People don't buy beverages. There's no point in sinking money into beverages. It's a totally biased opinion, though, because it's rooted in a highly overly regulated system where if you want to buy a beverage, you have to go to a dispensary to do it. Right. You have to go behind two metal doors with a security guard, show your ID 12 times, get your prostate checked. It's it's out of control just to buy some some cannabis. And so, of course, power of habit, people don't change their habits to go suddenly start buying beverages at a dispensary. They're just not going to. They buy beverages in the liquor store. They buy beverages at the grocery store. And they buy beverages where they can consume them on site. And on site consumption is a huge portion of beverages income. Go ask any alcohol purveyor and say, how much of your revenue comes from on site versus off site or on premise versus off premise? And you'll understand oh, without on premise and ease of access to beverage, that's why beverage is failing in marijuana, not because people don't want cannabis beverages. And so they take this data that they adhere to, you know, that they're all pulling data out of the point of sale systems and saying the numbers aren't there. This product doesn't move, but they're all locked into this bias. And if they could just take a breath and step outside of the bias and say, how could Americans consume cannabis beverages in a way that makes sense and start thinking about it? And that's what we've done on the hemp side. And look at can. Uh, can was a marijuana beverage that started in 2019 in California, and they didn't really blow up in a big way until they started producing on the hemp side as well. And they've done more sales, and I, I don't have any great insight here to their financials, but I believe I've heard of statistics from them saying that they've done more sales in their first three months in the Minnesota hemp market through a hemp-derived version of their product than the entire previous year in the state of California. Wow. You know, again, asterisk, I've, this is anecdotal. I've heard this, right. but, but, but the, the sentiment is accurate and can be looked at anecdotally by many other operators that have done the same thing. In fact, cookies, not on the beverage side, but I don't know if you guys know this, but cookies just started selling THCA flour. So think about the ramifications of this. Cookies, one of the largest visible brands in the marijuana space, is now selling high THCA flour as hemp, grown as hemp, sold as hemp that you can buy online. So you can go to a dispensary in California and buy a cookies brand flour, or you can buy it online and have it shipped to your house. Mm -hmm. It's the same flour. It's just through different frameworks. Right. Right. Marijuana industry is starting to catch on. It's just taking some time. 
That's very cool. Wow. <laughs> this has been a great interview. I just I could sit and talk to you all day. So thank you so much. I know how busy you are and you fit us into your schedule. We really appreciate it. Chris Fontes is with Trojan Horse. Chris, where can people find out more and find the, the great products that you have? Uh, Trojanhorsecannabis.com. And uh, look me up on LinkedIn, Chris Fonts, Fontes, Fontes, however you want to say it. And uh, I, I post on LinkedIn most out of all social media, but uh, also just go to our website, TrojanHorseCannabis.com. And you know I do that. So absolutely. Thank you <laughs> Thank so you, much. Thank awesome. you Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the chance to be here with you folk. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, I, I don't even know where to start. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of information there. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, that was no good. kidding. Um, I, I mean, a lot of great points um, Chris brought up throughout the duration of the conversation. Um, you know, looking back at talking about consumer loyalty, um, a couple of things stuck out to me. Um, it was really cool for Chris to kind of break down the dichotomy of what do consumers really care about? <laughs> you know, what's the price point for them? Um, you know, where can they get it? Things like that. But um, one thing that kind of distilled down to me um, that's been a constant and that's that is the consistency of the product. Yes. You know, somebody who is willing to do a voluntary recall if something uh, if a product batch doesn't meet that 100 percent guarantee of it is going to be what you're telling them it's going to be. And they're going to get the effects um, that they're looking for when they consume your product. Um, I, I think that's paramount. You know, and, and the Brightfield research um, backs that up. Remember, we did the podcast a couple of months ago with Brightfield and that they said that was one of the number one things is that people want to have that experience. And certainly who backs it up better than anybody than McDonald's or Burger? I mean, you go to the same place over and over if you know that no matter where you are, you're going to get that same experience. And the fact that he talked about that he wants to make sure that it's at both ends um, whether you're in the back end of the tub that you're making the stuff in or you're at the top end of the tub, that you're going to get the same experience definitely leads to that customer loyalty. So brilliant. Yeah, that, that consistency kind of let he was saying, kind of let the product speak for itself. Right. But right. also you you see where he's 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 uh, engaged with a lot of podcasts and had some good advice about how to, you know, go to those podcasts that you like, because it does it, 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 it's, it increases your awareness. It, it does start to set you up as a thought leader and it demonstrates that you're, you're, you're bringing something of value to not only the podcast, but to the consumer. So it's a great vehicle to use. It is. And it's a win-win, especially yeah. when you remember that your audience is the person that's listening. So you're winning because it increases your thought leadership and the podcast like Move the Stairs wins because they get to have great guests like Chris on, which is phenomenal. Yeah. And, and lastly, on the resilience, I'm so glad he's talking about the, um, the the marijuana people and the and the CBD people or the hemp people coming together because yes. we do agree on 95% of what's going on out there. And what I'm so excited that we had him on because he is really doing that by marketing the D9 in his hemp product and, and talking about it as opposed to saying, you know, we really don't have anything to do with that. I just think that that was a, a brilliant tact and also a very transparent tact, and people really care about that. But it's something that if, if um, you know, I'm sure he doesn't want all his competitors to do the same thing, but if other people did it, it would move the industries further ahead. And yeah. that's that's what we all care about here, is that we, we get this to a point where it's accessible to people, where they understand what it is. And because of that, the, uh, the well-being, their well-being 
is even better than it was before. So fantastic job. So I, I just want to thank Chris again, Chris Fontes from Trojan Horse for joining us on the Move the Stairs podcast. And I want to thank you for watching and for listening. And we'll see you again in a couple of weeks. Thank you again for listening to the Move the Stairs podcast. You may be wondering where the phrase Move the Stairs comes from. It's my life's mantra and MNC's commitment to our clients. It's a nod to a defining moment in my television news career. You know, in news, you have to be first with the story, no excuses. And one night I had to get the first TV news interview with a senatorial candidate after he accepted the nomination on stage. I noticed the stairs leading off the stage were taking the candidate directly to my competitors. But what could I do? So I looked around and I noticed the stairs were on wheels. I walked over and bolted the stairs and moved them so the candidate walked off the stage right to my team first. At MNC Communications, our years in the media taught us there's always a way to move the stairs to make the best possible outcome happen for our clients.